0: When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much,
1: and welcome to Growing Your Wealth, a radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of and solid advice come from the expert Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How are you doing today, Brian?
2: Doing great. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Glad to hear it. As Brian, as always, hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We're closing in on 350 shows at this point, and really excited to have our listeners with us today today. I've learned so much on this program. I know that our listeners have as well, too. And we do enjoy hearing from you. If you have comments about the show, you can go to the website madronafinancial.com and send them to us from there. We always enjoy reading those. On today's show, Brian, I want to talk about life insurance a little bit. There are many different types of life insurance, but I want to talk particularly about something that I call life insurance for the living, fixed index universal life basics. Can you expand on that?
2: Yeah, you're right. There's different kinds of life insurance. I I thought it'd be good just to have a basis of, of what life insurance is. In its purest form is something called term insurance. And that means if you pass away, someone gets paid. That's the purest form of life insurance. Well, the industry has created many other variations of that over the years. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The term insurance is always a component of every life insurance policy, whether you know it or not. But the other variations of life insurance involve investments, investments, you know, adding more money to the policy. So it can be invested either for a cash flow for you later on or to have a permanent nature too. Because the thing about term life insurance is when you sign up for term life insurance, you're only signing up for a term of years. That's what the term part means. So, for instance, let's say you're uh, 45 years old and, and you decide to buy a 20 year term policy. And so you pay into it for 20 years. And at age 65, they say, OK, you don't have coverage anymore. You know, oh. Really? Uh, yeah, that was just for that term of years. So maybe when your kids were at home or whatever. And so term insurance runs out. If you pass away, there's a payout. But if you outlive the term, there will be no return on investment. You just had the peace of mind while you had that policy. So again, that's the most basic form of life insurance, term life insurance.
1: So term insurance, as you said, for 20 years, you may get that to cover the cost of keeping up the house, raising the kids, that sort of thing, if you should pass away. And it is good for young people, but term insurance Is not an investment vehicle whatsoever. Any money that you put into the term insurance, you're going to lose it if you don't die, right? That's right. But it's super cheap
2: relative to the other versions of life insurance because you don't get anything in the end. You know, most people that have term insurance will never see anything. Uh, Thankfully, so. I mean, I bought a 20 year term policy. I was probably in my early 30s. I'm glad I I didn't cash out on that thing because, you know, it, it ran out. And so, yeah, I didn't want to cash out on it, of course. But yeah, other insurance policies are what we call permanent insurance policies. They're meant to be with you during your entire lifetime. They're not to be just for a term of years. And so there is that term part built into it, but it's an ongoing thing. And the term insurance premiums are paid for out of the earnings growth of the underlying investment within the policy. So what we're going to be talking about today is permanent life insurance as opposed to just the
1: term life insurance. Now, most people who have heard about insurance certainly know the term term insurance, but there is something that I've heard called whole life insurance. How does that differ? So whole
2: life is another version of permanent insurance. There's whole life, there's fixed index universal life. There's variable universal life. All of these have some differences. Now, whole life, generally speaking, and and we don't have enough hours to talk about all the nuances of insurance. I see you have a book in front of you there, Jeff. It's (laughs) about 500 pages on insurance to be able to pass the test to be able to even talk about insurance to sure. people actual policies so there's a lot to this and we're just we're just gonna kind of rush over and, and hit the highlights and you know 40,000 foot view today of insurance but yeah whole life is a version it tends to have a, a lower underlying return so you know be careful with whole life policies I, the ones I've seen many of them In the old days, you know, you could get a pretty high fixed rate of return on things. You can't anymore. And so generally what I've seen is whole life doesn't do a lot for you later in your later years because it doesn't have enough earnings potential to offset the increasing cost of insurance built into these as you age. Whereas fixed index universal life policies and variable universal life policies do have additional upside potential within the policy as opposed to whole
1: life. Okay, so the whole life really doesn't pay that much. The next step, as you said, would be a fixed index universal life policy. That really is a combination of a tax-free investment product that also carries life insurance.
2: Yeah, uh, those are fixed index universal life are what are often offered by advisors held to the fiduciary standard like myself. And so that's what I, you know, if we were talking permanent life insurance, anybody from my firm, we would be talking about fixed index universal life policies with you as opposed to variable universal life policies, which are sold by non-fiduciary advisors, broker dealers, that kind of thing. They are invested in the stock market and stocks and bonds, and they can go down in value in a given year, and they have generally have pretty high internal fees. And so we're not allowed to sell them because we're held to the fiduciary standard. So back to the fiduciary standard, we can offer fixed index universal life. Some common themes with those are annually they tend to have a floor of zero. So they don't they don't go backwards except for any underlying insurance. Costs, you know, the, the the term insurance part of it, any insurance company fees, uh, that kind of thing, they can go down a little bit due to that. But the underlying investment generally has a floor of zero, and most that I've seen have a ceiling, a cap, and so that those caps are much better than what you'll find in an annuity, which is similar in in those respects. A fixed index annuity has a floor of zero typically, and if they have a cap, it's a certain amount. The the cap on the, uh, the ceiling that you can earn in a given year on the fixed index universal life is generally much, much higher than that of a fixed index annuity.
1: So is a fixed index universal life policy, is it really just a life insurance policy wrapped in an insurance wrapper?
2: Basically, I mean, the reason that they, they put it in there is is for the tax benefits. Life insurance has tax benefits that other investments do not have. So that's why we're talking about this. This is not about how do I get the most insurance most of the time. We'll, we'll talk about that later when we talk about premium financing. But people that do Fixed Index Universal Life generally are looking at this as an asset class for their investments. So you can invest in the stock market, bond markets, real estate investment trusts, DSTs, all kinds of different things. You can also, annuities, you can also invest in fixed index universal life policies. You're going to try and create either a death benefit or lifetime cash flow during your life that is tax-free. So by having a life insurance wrapper around this part of your investment portfolio, this piece of the portfolio that's in this, by having it in a life insurance product, you've been able to put that money into something that is uh, potentially tax-free.
1: So if you want to create a pension-like stream of payments in your retirement and you want them to be income tax-free, this might be a solution for you. Is there any reason that you can think of, I mean, why would someone not want to do an FIUL? Well there are some reasons. One specifically to
2: that person is if you don't uh, qualify, the insurance company can turn you down. Oh gee, I, I want a life insurance policy. I'm 45 years old. Of course I've had a heart attack and you know I have diabetes and, and other problems. Well, you're probably not going to get uh, underwritten. So you you may not qualify physically. Another thing is if you're older, when you start these things, the cost of insurance embedded in that policy may be too high because you don't have enough years to grow the value of it when you're younger and the cost of insurance doesn't eat away much of the principal. That's where it really works great. But let's say you're in your well into your 60s or 70s or beyond. You're probably the numbers probably don't pencil very well, honestly, uh, for the most part. For most fixed index universal life policies, just because the, the cost is too high. And also, uh, it can be expensive. You know, you, to have much bang for the buck, you got to put a bunch of money into them, some, you know, over time. And so there, there is that reason there. You might, I want life insurance. I, I qualify, but how much is it? Oh, yeah, I, I only have an extra... Twenty bucks a month to put into something. Well, it's probably
1: not the thing for you. So once again, you have to qualify. You have to take a physical for this too. And if you're over the age of 60, the cost of this may be cost prohibitive. Is this the sort of policy though that you can borrow against? Maybe take a tax-free loan? Uh, you probably
2: could in, in some circumstances. But the way it basically works is, let's say, I'll, I'll give an example where it could really be good. Is, let's say you were putting money into a 401k plan and getting a deduction for that. And you know, that, that's nice. Uh, this is going to grow a whole bunch over my lifetime. I'm, I'm in my 40s or early 50s or whatever. And you say, all right, this is going to grow. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to pay tax on this when I take it out. Well, alternatively, you could put money into a fixed index universal life over the years and have it grow over your lifetime. And then in your retirement years, you might say, all right, I'd like some monthly checks from this. Well, you can do that. Uh, If your balance is adequate, you can just start taking monthly checks. It's like a pension, almost like investment where you're taking monthly checks. And so if you're taking those checks, though, the cool thing about it is you're only borrowing against your own future death proceeds borrowing is not a taxable event. And when you eventually pass away and the insurance company pays off your heirs and pays themselves back for the loan and the interest on the loan that you've taken, that is tax-free too. So you've created a stream of payments, monthly payments in your retirement years that's permanently tax-free under the current law.
1: So it sounds like there are a lot of benefits to a fixed index universal life policy. One, it does have a death benefit it is an investment vehicle, and you can borrow against it tax-free. I mean, you're borrowing against your future death proceeds. So that's the Fixed Index Universal Life Policy. We're going to be talking in the next segment about gifting an FIUL to children and grandchildren. In the meantime, if you'd like to know more about a Fixed Index Universal Life Policy or you want a financial plan, from Madrona Financial, we're offering it no cost of no obligation this week to our loyal listeners, actually any listeners to this program, to get yours, call 844-MADRONA, 844 M-A-D-R-O-N-A, or as always, you can request it online at madronafinancial.com. Time for a break. We'll be right back
0: with more of Growing Your Wealth after this. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial
2: Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about gifting fixed index
1: universal life policies to children and grandchildren. And Brian, before we get to that, I want to talk about gifting, different types of gifting, money to uh, children and grandchildren. I mean, really, this is an interesting topic because a lot of people want to do something good for their children or their grandchildren, but inadvertently by gifting it in the wrong way, they can really be causing a lot of harm.
2: Yeah, in one of my books I, I did give an example of, you know, giving an eighteen year old money, you know, on the, the example, I said, you know, they're going to go out and buy a red convertible, fill it full of beer and <laughs> and, and their friends and go to Vegas with it. You know, yeah. we're not as, uh, you know, if you think back to when you were 18 years old, which we were talking during break, I actually had two red convertibles <laughs> back in the day. I had a, uh, what, a 70 uh, Cadillac convertible right. with a 472 inch cubic inch Whoa. engine. It was cherry red, white leather seats and everything. That thing was a beast. I think you said, how much did I get per i
1: probably i'm gonna you don't measure it in miles per gallon you measure it in feet per gallon with something like that yeah especially the way you probably drove it
2: yeah that was that was a beast of a car i did have a 65 impala convertible and i managed to get to the counting class at wazoo uh, decided we're going to play softball one day it was you know (laughs) i think it was finals week or something we'd already taken our tests and so i got both teams in that car (laughs) i high centered on the speed bump because i had so much weight in that car i bet so i went about five miles an hour, but I think I had 15 people in that car. I don't think that was uh, street legal, but uh, (laughs) we we made it to the park, so that was
1: all right. The things you do in college, you don't really think about those things. But nevertheless, if you leave cash in the wrong way to uh, children, many times, you know, they don't have experience with this particular money. And like you said, it's going to be gone in maybe a matter of months or just a few years. So how can you prevent that from happening?
2: Right. Uh, Often I'm talking to my clients about, you know, they want to leave money to their kids and grandkids, but uh, if I give money, I kind of know what's going to happen. It's going to yeah, like you just said, it's going to be fleeting, and that's not you know it's no reflection on your particular kids. It's just how people are. Sure. you think about athletes or you know anybody that's got money in their early years and they think it's never going to run out, and then you read about them a few years later and they're they're broke and you're like, how did that happen? And they signed a thirty million dollar contract and and boy, that went quick. And it's just the nature of things. If if you didn't earn the money yourself. It doesn't hold the, the same, you know, oomph that uh, money that you receive does. And so, and I was thinking about that even on the drive into the studio today about how long it took, how many years it took for me to acquire a net worth of $100,000. Mm-hmm. Well, a good chunk of my life, more yeah. than half of it. Sure. And so that first 100000 was big. Now, if I left $100,000 to one of my kids, they'd go, well, oh, that, that's pretty cool, Dad. And they'd have a tricked out car or whatever. Sure. You know, it's no reflection on, again, your kids. It's just, yeah. you didn't earn it. So I protected that 100 grand, you know, the net worth that I had. It was a big deal to me because I earned it. And I went to the blood, sweat, and tears of the decades it took to get there. Hmm. It a little easier today, but, uh, you know, back in the day, that that's what it was. So uh, a lot of my clients are asking, well, how do I gift to kids and grandkids without ruining them, essentially? Because another thing you think about is a lot of people on this show, uh, I would say, are probably would not vote for uh, a progressive if they had yep. a vote. <laughs> and they would not vote for a socialist yeah, if right. they had a vote, sure. on, if they were on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And one of the premises of socialism is to give people money that didn't earn it and take away from people that did. So you spread it all out. And so we know that doesn't work. I can't name a socialist country where that's worked. Well, it's kind of the same thing with giving money to your kids. You give your kids a lot of money they didn't work for. It might take away their motivation to work. We're seeing that now.
1: You were talking about going to the grocery store. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the deli department was completely dark. And this is the fourth time that I've seen that. And I've tried to go through a Starbucks and there's nobody there. I've tried to go any number of different places and there's just nobody working. And I I still, I mean, as an older person, I can't understand that because of the work ethic that was always instilled in me. I mean, there's no guarantee that I was going to get a job tomorrow, but apparently it's different these days. It is different these
2: days. And so you give people money, they don't need to go to work. They won't go to work. And that's socialism. (laughs) And so we have to be careful. That we're not being socialists ourselves, or their own kids sometimes, and grandkids. So there's a fine line there sometimes. So often I I coach people on, okay, you can, you know, what if you gifted your kids college education? Most people get that. That Mm -hmm. okay, I can gift my kids college education, so they can uh, instead of giving them fish to eat, they can be taught how to catch their own fish later on. Okay, great. Uh, We all get that. For some people, it might be helping them with the down payment for a house because it's very difficult to save up Mm -hmm. enough money. Housing prices, I think you would you just looked at the increase since 1980.
1: Yeah, it's been about 450% increase since 1980 on the price of a house. As opposed to uh, eggs and, and other yeah, things. Yeah, eggs were up about 100%. I mean, you know, other, some other staples up 160%, 200%, but housing up 450%. And I'm wondering, you know, if you look back at how much money you made in 1980 versus today, I mean, do you make 450% more? I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You, you don't when you're young and trying to buy your first house. Right. So because the housing prices are up so much, getting that down payment may be impossible for this next generation sometimes for a lot of them. And so that might be a way to help someone out uh, through their housing and, and so forth. But I wanted to talk in this segment about a different kind of gift. What if long past the years that I'm gone, I was able to give to my children a cash flow, a monthly cash flow in their retirement years that was tax free? I would think that they may not think much of that gift today. But when they're 60 years old, 65, 70, 75 years old, getting monthly checks that dear old dad thought about them way back when to provide for some kind of safety net, some kind of check coming in that, again, was income tax free, I would think that would be a pretty cool thing.
1: Yeah, I would too. And I mean, when you gift it to them, you have to say, you know, it's the old tried and true saying, you'll thank me for this later. You may not appreciate it now, but you'll thank me for this later. So you can gift something such as a fixed index universal life policy to children and grandchildren.
2: Yeah. So you can fund these policies for seven years. So I'll just use an example. Let's say you decided to do a thousand dollars a month for your Cater grandkid for seven years. And the reason it's seven years, that's an IRS rule. They know that these are pretty juicy for, you know, uh, these are great for, for people. It's tax-free. IRS, you know, likes taxes. But, you know, this is allowed. So they say, well, you have to at least try and make this look like a life insurance policy. You can't just create this cash flow and retirement using the life insurance rules. So we're going to make you pay into it for at least seven years. And so at a minimum, you pay into the policy for seven years, whatever amount you decide. I'm in this example, 1000 a month. So you put in $84,000 over the course of seven years. And depending on their age and their qualification, they have to physically qualify for the life insurance. But they go through that medical check. And then uh, you put this money in and then later in life, let's say when they're 60 years old, they may then start taking monthly checks. But if you have, they have a lot of time on their side, those checks can be pretty substantial relative to the $84,000 that you put in. And on top of that, they've had life insurance the whole time. And on top of that, those checks are income tax free.
1: So it sounds like a pretty good strategy, uh, gifting a fixed index universal life policy to children and grandchildren, but is there any reason why someone would not want to do this strategy?
2: Well, you know, the kids would have the ability to say, well, that's nice, but I'm 45 years old, dad's gone, I'm just going to cash this thing out. I I saw a car I really, really want. Mm. Uh, They could do that. Now, there are ways around that. We're going to talk about that in an upcoming segment here. About how to protect that uh, so you don't have that. But honestly, yeah, I I can't think of a good, you know, if if you don't have the money to put away for your kids. Great. But assuming you have extra money and you want to have some provision for them, because I, I think that's great. I I could give my 20-year-old, you know, a bunch of money. And again, it, it's not going to go very far at this point in his life. But I would like to have some peace of mind that I've put something away for them later in life. Because let's say life gets tough. Let's say that the economy suffers. Let's say that uh, we borrow too much as a country and, and things are, are going haywire or whatever. Or maybe they're job situation just didn't turn out the way they thought it should. Wouldn't it be nice that I would have this peace of mind knowing that maybe I helped them with some housing, helped them with their education, and if everything didn't work out good and all they had was whatever's left (laughs) in Social Security, which is unfunded right now for their time period that they would want it, whatever's left, I've got some kind of money put away for them in their older years to where they have some kind of safety net that other people don't have. And $1,000 a month put into that probably won't create enough of a safety net for them to live on but you know it's whatever the amount is that you can afford so I've, I've got people putting huge sums of money into these policies for the next generation but they have huge sums of money to do that with but depending on on what you can afford uh, i really can't see the downside to doing this
1: so brian this uh, fixed index universal life policy gifting that sounds like a very good idea but how do we get started with this what are the steps to do this
2: well you mentioned gifting there and so uh, there are rules about gifting I want to talk about uh, that for a second a person can give fifteen thousand dollars a year to another person without filing anything if it's a married couple they could give thirty thousand so in this example a uh, married couple say well I want to max out my my gift exclusion we want to give thirty thousand a year so you could put uh, essentially 2500 a month into this policy thirty thousand a year for seven years if you had two hundred ten thousand over seven years to gift to that your kid Kid or grandkid or whatever it is. Uh, you could do that without any gift tax implication whatsoever. I did want to mention gift tax. A lot of people go think that, oh, I'm, I'm maxed out at 15000 a year. I wanted to give my kid 115000 I can't do it, right? No, you can. Oh, I'll pay a bunch of tax, right? No, you won't. If you give 115,000 dollars to somebody, 15 is your gift tax exclusion. You, you can ignore that. 100 is a taxable gift. But that 100,000, the tax rate is zero. because currently you have an $11 million exemption, or, or if they lower it to five million, whatever, you have an exemption amount. It just takes away from that exemption amount. Your tax rate's zero until your exemption is zero. So you can give uh, as much money as you want. You may have a gift tax return to file. But in this example, we're talking about gifting to kids or, or grandkids. Let's say you have multiple kids and grandkids you want to set these policies up for. You can do that. And you can be under the gift tax exclusion amount. You can provide for them, again, way beyond the years that you're even on this earth when they're in their retirement years. What a great gift. I mean, my kids are going to have these and they're going to look back and remember dad to you know really thought about them even beyond when he was here in their retirement and even if they're very successful you know they're they're getting these monthly checks and they'll remember us and they'll probably pay it forward They'll probably take those checks mm-hmm. and, and put in their own kids uh if if they're still available then so that i i think that this is almost a no-brainer if if you're in the situation where you can do this uh, certainly if you don't have the money you can't do it okay but it's, it's kind of a no-brainer to me that it can make a lot of sense for a lot of people
1: We've been talking about gifting strategies for children and grandchildren, particularly fixed index universal life policies. Again, if you have questions about this particular topic, give us a call here at Madrona Financial, 844-MADRONA. And you can also send in your questions online by going to madronafinancial.com. And don't forget to ask for your complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan. You're listening to
0: Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more after this.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. and this segment, we're going to be talking about trusts and specifically irrevocable life insurance trusts.
1: And Brian, we've heard those described as islets, and we're going to be getting into that. But let's start back with the basics. Let's first of all, talk about what a trust really is.
2: Yeah, there's two kinds of trusts. Basically, there's revocable living trusts and irrevocable trust. So a revocable living trust is akin to a will. And so you can either have a will or revocable living trust. And if you have a revocable living trust, that's basically a way to try and avoid probate upon your passing. So it's it's essentially a will, but uh, it's, it's a little bit different. And you can change the terms of it and so forth uh, as long as you're alive. Now an irrevocable Trusts, of course, the word irrevocable means once it's set up, it's its own entity. You can't just change it or take the money back. You put money into an irrevocable trust, you can't go, oh, you know, I changed my mind. I'm going to take it back. It's not yours to take anymore. The trust provisions provide for how it's treated. So we're going to talk about an irrevocable trust where we're going to fund this trust that is no longer your asset once you gifted it. We're going to fund it with a life insurance policy.
1: Okay. So revocable, obviously you can take it back. Irrevocable, you can't. So let's talk about the irrevocable life insurance trust or the ILIT. This actually can accomplish multiple objectives, can it?
2: Yeah, it can. And so in the last segment, we were talking about how to gift a fixed index universal life policy to your kids or grandkids. And one of the negatives to that was what if they decide to cash it out and just take the money and not have it around for their later years because they saw a really cool car they, they wanted to buy. And so, yes, this happens. And so one of the ways to protect that is to put it into trust. So they're not the trustee. They can't make that decision to take that money out. The trustee isn't, is instructed not to do that. And so the money's put into this trust. It's, it's outside of your estate now. It's not your asset. Your kids or grandkids are the beneficiary, but they are not the trustee. So the trustee dictates how the money's taken out. So this is a way to protect it from themselves, basically. That it will be there to accomplish the goal, and your goal might have been I want them to take cash flow from age 60 to 80 on the money I put into this irrevocable life insurance trust. I wanted to provide for them in that way, income tax free, after I'm long gone, so they have cash flow as a safety net in their retirement years. Great. You can put that into writing, you can pick the trustee for that and make that happen and protect those assets, and they can't override your desire even after you passed away. So that's kind of the basics of an irrevocable life insurance trust.
1: So every trust needs a trustee. How do you go about picking the proper trustee? That can be a little tricky
2: sometimes because normally you go, well, my kid's going to be a trustee. Well, if they're the beneficiary, they may not do what you want them to do. So you have to kind of have a sense of knowing your kids. So maybe that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm sure if my parents had said something up like this, they'd have no problem naming me as trustee because they know I, I know how to handle. Money. Others, not so much. So, you can hire a corporate trustee, a corporation, somebody else outside of the family, or it could be someone within the family or a trusted friend or advisor or something like that. But that can be a little tricky. So, you do have to, anytime you're thinking about trustees or executors, you have to be very careful. So, for instance, if you have a will or living trust, you pass away and you've left it to one of your kids to be the administrator and, and trustee and all that stuff. Well, the other kids may not agree and you may have some real fights going on. That's funny things happen with money. And so often you want an external party to be part of that process. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe you do. So yeah, that's a good question, Jeff. That's that's probably the one rub on these. Geez, this sounds great. Is there any any detriments? And, well, yeah, I'm finding the right trustee can be one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've had some personal experience with that in my family, too. It's a Amazing how you think you know someone, a sibling, or someone in your family, and then when it comes to money, things change completely. So it sounds to me as if someone who is independent, who doesn't have a stake in the game, may be the best you know choice for a trustee.
2: Yeah, that can absolutely be, and you know, so for my clients, uh, I'm a shareholder in National Advisors Trust, a 50 state licensed trust company so some of them have put in their will or living trust that they would like a national advisors trust to be their trustee. And then I would be part of the team that would help manage that. I'm not the trustee. I, I would help with uh, continued investment on that, but I would be a resource for the corporate trustee, which doesn't have a stake in the family dynamics to make the decisions that based upon what the trustor, the person that set up the trust, you in this case, wanted. And so we uh, we would know those things and then act accordingly.
1: So this strategy is best suited for someone who wants to leave assets income tax-free and estate tax-free generationally. What are some of the other detriments, some of the other reasons why you would not want to use an islet?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned, because it's an irrevocable trust, once you put money in, you can't take it back out. You can't change your mind. You go, I'm putting this money away from my kids. It's going to come out of my state it will lower any federal estate tax I may have to pay. It will lower any state of Washington or whatever state you're in, estate tax that you're eventually going to pay. This is great. Well, then your kid uh, kind of ticks you off one day. I'm I'm taking him out of the will. Well, you've already got this thing set up, so you can't take the money back. So hopefully that doesn't happen to you, but things happen. So when you put money into an irrevocable trust, you can't take it back. So that would be the detriment to this. But again, yeah, for most people that are thinking about generational transfer, this can be a great way because, again, uh, any money paid on the policy amounts comes out of your estate. So it's no longer subject to estate tax. And when you pass away, the life insurance uh, is paid off to the trust and that's income tax free because life insurance is not taxable. So you've been able to transfer money to next generations uh, protected from income and estate tax, lowering your own estate tax if you have that.
1: So it sounds like a great strategy. And the question comes to mind, okay, I'm all in on this. This is something that I want to do. I can see the benefits of it. I can see the detriments of it. But the question I have is how do I get started? I mean, how do I begin to form a trust, whether it's revocable or irrevocable?
2: Yeah. First thing, as we talk about on this show, you should get a financial plan done because, uh, you may think this is great and you love it. And I do a plan for you or one of my advisors does. And we go, uh, this isn't in your best interest. Uh, you won't have enough money for your own retirement. I want to take care of my client's retirement before I worry about. Uh, leaving money to the next generations, generally. So we got to make sure it's the right thing for you. And we're going to pick it apart and try and figure out why you shouldn't do it. And if we can't find that, then okay, then we're left with why you should. And so these are complex things. These are not for anybody. Uh, Don't go to the financial person, you know, in the strip mall to try and figure this stuff out. It's probably not going to work out for you. Uh, That's why we talk about these topics on this show, particularly, is they're all advanced topics, nothing we talk about seems like Jeff anymore. is yeah. straightforward, easy, simple stuff that any, anybody knows about. This is complicated stuff. And so, you know, I'm, the advisors here understand all of this stuff. All of my advisors uh, at the firm here do. And we can, we can work uh, through the financial plan to figure out if it makes sense and then take the next steps to uh, making it happen.
1: We're talking about trust here on Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Once again, questions about trust 844-MADRONA. You can also send them to us at madronafinancial.com. Brian, I've also heard trust used for protecting assets, that particular purpose. Does a trust stand separate from an individual?
2: It absolutely does. An irrevocable trust, because as I mentioned before, it's its own entity. And so if Let's say you've been putting money into an irrevocable life insurance trust for years and, and you have a big life insurance account built up for your heirs. And then you get sued and, or your business goes south or whatever. And they say, hey, we want to get that money that you took out of your state and put into that trust. And we want that too. And, well, you can't have it because it's, it's, it's a separate entity. It's protected. And it is treated that way because even if you put money into the trust annually – that money is available annually to the beneficiaries. They could say, I don't want it to go into the trust. They have to sign a letter called a Crummy Trust letter. The Crummy was the court case that says, I'm eligible for this money that you're gifting to me, but I'm deferring it to go into this trust. Now, people say, what if they don't sign the letter? Well, then I'm going to suggest that you never give them another red cent the rest of their life. (laughs) And so they know that and they go, I'd really like that money to buy that car I was looking at. But, gee, I know if I do, I'm out of the will. So I will continue to sign this crummy trust letter funding this life insurance policy. But you're absolutely right, Jeff. This is a way of protecting assets outside of your estate. So it's no longer, not only is it not controlled by you, it's not part of your estate. It can never be, there's no grabbing back and taxing you on it. It's outside of your
1: estate. So trusts have a variety of uh, uses here and they can be a very valuable tool. Once again, we've been talking about irrevocable life insurance trust and trust in general here on Growing Your Wealth. If you want to know more about trust and whether or not it might be applicable to your particular situation, call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. Also, you can use that number to request your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial plan that just may include trusts. 844-MADRONA. You can also request your plan online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We'll
0: be right back. We'll wrap it all up after this when our show continues. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs.
2: And this segment, we'll be talking about premium finance fixed index universal life.
1: And Brian, over the years that we've been doing this show, I have heard you talk about premium finance life insurance policies, and the only thing I know about them, so I'm to be with the listeners on this, the only thing I know about them is that they're not for everyone. Can you explain that? Yeah,
2: I'll have to apologize uh, for this particular topic. I, you're right, I don't bring it up much. I, I bring it up, but I don't talk about it, because there's very few people that this will apply to. And so most of this show, you know, you, you, there's a lot of concepts we talk about and it's not not every concept is going to apply to everybody this is one of those cases but the ones that it does apply to it can be very very important in fact this is probably my favorite thing when it works (laughs) the favorite thing i do at work uh, but i don't get to do it very often and the reason for that is you have to have a net worth of at least oh probably four million dollars to even consider doing one of these uh where you'll be able to um that unfortunately that's just this the way things are there's uh, the banks will only and insurance companies will only work with large cases uh, where it comes to premium finance FIULs.
1: So premium finance life insurance you've said it's not for everybody it is particularly though useful for people who have a net worth of you know four to five million dollars so how does a premium finance life insurance policy work and why is it so valuable to those people?
2: Yeah, I want to do a, a real estate comparison because uh, they aren't the same, but they have similar concepts. So let's talk about how people that uh, invested in real estate over the years how they got rich. Most of them did not, if you own real estate and, and are worth millions and millions of dollars, you know what I'm talking about. You did not go out and buy your real estate with 100% cash because you didn't have it. So you got into your real estate with a minimum down payment you could get because if you could buy a rental house for a hundred grand, you might've thought, well, you know, I could buy one rental house for a hundred grand, or if I could put 10% down on rental houses, I could buy 10 houses, and I'd have a million dollars of real estate. And then when it appreciates at 6%, that's 60,000 a year profit I'm getting instead of just 6,000 a year because of one house. You want to leverage, so that's, mm-hmm. that's leverage. And we're talking about premium finance, which is leverage. Uh, that's the same thing, it's using banks to buy more of what it is that you're trying to buy. Now, in my real estate comparison, let's say you bought 10 houses instead of of one. That's great as long as your cash flow, your earnings exceed your outflow. And so if you know that you're getting, say, 6% uh, of the value in rents, and your interest rate on your loan is say half of that, three percent. You're going, oh, I'm making money on these times ten, and I get ten times the annual appreciation. So this is just they call it leverage arbitrage. But what it is is your cash flow is is positive, and you've been able to have the bank help you leverage into a lot more property than you could buy if you just paid cash for the one property. So this is how people got rich in real estate in a nutshell. You know, many of us, and. Uh that have done that. The premium finance fixed index universal life works in a similar way. So in this case, the bank says, Yeah, this is we'll we'll end on those. In fact, we'll put up a hundred percent of the principal of your life insurance. All you have to pay is the interest for say seven years. That's all you got to put in. Because they know that they're gonna get paid someday because the insurance company is essentially the in real estate, you have the tenant that's paying annually. In this case, it's an insurance company. So they feel safe about that. And the other thing they know is someday you're going to die. <laughs> and that insurance company is going to have to pay off the, the life insurance. So they know these things are going to happen. So they're like, yeah, we'll rent, lend on these all day long. And so they will finance essentially 100% of the premium. You just have to come up with the interest for seven years. So minimum down payment and the underlying earnings of the life insurance policy because interest rates are so low right now, they're, you know, much like my real estate analysis, the income coming in is greater than the outflow going out. Now you've been able to leverage that. And so it's a similar concept of using low interest rates And bank financing to supercharge an insurance policy in this case. And the other benefit, the the disconnect between this and the real estate example is this is also income tax free. So there's there's two uh, solutions this could solve for. But that's the basic uh, real estate comparison of a premium finance FIUL.
1: So this is leveraged arbitrage. We've heard that term before. The concept, uh, of course, is used here with life insurance as an asset class. Really the most effective tool for generational wealth and tax-free income that we know of, given the low interest rate environment that we currently enjoy, along with the income tax-free benefits of life insurance. Who would not want to do this? What are the detriments?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple, of, as I mentioned, there's a couple of ways someone might want to use this. And I'll, I'll talk about the detriment as it relates to each. So someone might want to say, you know what? I want... A uh, I, I heard you talk about those FIULs and how they could provide cash flow in retirement. I want it for my own retirement. And so you say, I'm, I'm 65 years old, Brian. Can I do one of these? I'm going to, hey, it's not going to work. You're kind of too far into the game here because you need about 15 years if you want the cash flow for these to really work. And you'll be 80 years old by the time they happen. So I'm not going to do that for you. And the life insurance costs will be too high. But let's say that you're 60 and your spouse is 55, and you go, Well, I want to provide, make sure she's provided for, or he provided for, the younger person. And uh, in 15 years, they'll be 70. That's, you know, but they might expect to live into their 90s. Well, wouldn't it be great if they had a whole bunch of leveraged cash flow that's tax free throughout their later years? Yeah, you can use it in that case. So, one of the detriments is you might be too old for that to make work. Alternatively, these can be a very good vehicle for generational transfer. So if you're able to take a sum of money and leverage that up with the bank financing and put it into a trust, like we talked about in the last segment, you can put a big chunk of money into this and have it, again, leveraged so you have a massive life insurance Payoff that's tax-free income and estate tax-free for your heirs outside of your estate that's been again leveraged through the use of bank
1: financing. Brian, as you talk about these uh, things, it really occurs to me that this is a complex topic and it is not something that is suitable for everyone. It's just generally not something that most people think about, and that leads me to ask you: Is this something that really uh, someone like yourself, uh, at a financial advisor that deals with high net worth clients, is this something that that pretty much you're only going to find with someone like you
2: yes absolutely I mean I well I've seen other people you know they'll they'll sell it because they, they they you know want to want to sell a big policy or whatever but uh, they don't know the interest there's so many intricacies to this whether it's the does it make sense part uh, there's the negotiations with the banks that has to happen for the best interest rate there's interest rate caps and ceilings that can be purchased uh, if your net worth is high enough and we may, may want to do that uh, there's there's the uh, different life insurance companies do better with different situations. They're shopping it out there for the best ones. There's the tax ramifications, the financial plan, the gifting strategy, the the trust analysis. Uh, uh, there's so many nuances to this that even I, I'm a pretty smart guy and <laughs> we're mm-hmm. pretty smart here, but even I get help on these from a specialist firm in the Midwest that's been doing these kinds of things for 70 years. And so... We partner up on this because, again, I know a lot of stuff, but I want to make sure these get done right. So I, I'll, I'll bring in the experts on this one and work alongside them to get the right, uh, the right solution for the high net worth clients that this, this would uh, attract.
1: Brian, if someone feels like that they've listened to this, they understand it, and they want to get started with something like this, they think they're a candidate for premium finance life insurance, how would they get started? I mean, is the first step to simply call you or, you know, what do you do? Is this easy to get started with?
2: Yeah, the first thing I do is we do a financial plan, and basically I need to know your assets because there might be a collateral commitment in these, uh, certain assets qualify, certain don't, but, uh, if your income is very high or your assets are high, as I mentioned, uh, it's worth looking at it, uh, for, for most people. And, you know, I, you know, again, if you're 75 years old and calling me, I'm, I'm going to say, we're not going to look at this. But, uh, if you're early sixties, fifties, certainly forties, uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll look at it. And, uh, it's almost one of those, this is too good to be true. What's the catch. I, I get that a lot on these. Well, there is no catch. It's just, I have, I couldn't talk about this 10 years ago because interest rates were too high. I would never never put anybody into it when when the rate was too high. Uh, but now that interest rates are low, we can get ceilings and and so forth on these things so um, and there's a lot of protections built in. Now we can talk about them and and put people into them that, that have and, and frankly, there's a lot more people with, you know, it used to be 10 years ago that I rarely ran into somebody with 5 million, $10, 20, 30 million dollar net worth. Now because, you know, the last 10 years have been pretty good, especially in Puget sound, I'm running into a lot of people that have those kinds of Net worth figures they'd never heard about this stuff before maybe they heard about it but didn't have it explained to them properly, but uh, a lot more opportunities to where I'm basically talking about this every week to somebody new anymore, so uh, at least have it looked at. I mean, we're going to give you a straight scoop on whether it makes sense for you or not, and and it's a long process. That is a detriment. It takes months sometimes to get these through because of the medical qualification. The insurance company is not going to give this to anybody, okay? You got to qualify uh, medically because they're they're on the hook for a lot of money if you pass away prematurely, a lot, tax-free to your estate. So uh, they're they're careful about it. The banks are careful about it. We got to get all our ducks in a row. So they, it takes some time.
1: So be in good health if you're thinking about one of these life insurance policies. As you said, Brian, I mean, uh, with any sort of asset-based life insurance policy, time is a superpower here. Ideally, how much time would you need in order to do something like this? I mean, you know, how many years should you look uh, to invest in this?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a lifetime uh, investment and uh, fifteen years uh, generally for if you want the cash flow. Uh, if you don't, then you know fifteen years for it, you. You would pass away. I suspect would be a minimum. So again, if you're if you're older, you're probably not going to work that way. I've seen older people do gifts though to the next generation so they could buy the fixed index universal life. I I've, I've talked to uh, people that say, well, I don't think I qualify, and I say, well. This wouldn't be you then. It would be your spouse. Oh, yeah, my spouse is totally healthy and, and younger than me. Yeah, it, it'd it be your spouse's uh, policy, not yours. It, it doesn't have to be both of you or or. It would be the one that has the best rate, the best rating, that has the lowest cost of insurance built into it, that's younger, that, that kind of thing. So there are, again, many nuances as to how these can be used, but I've never seen anything in, in my entire career uh, when the situation is right that could potentially yield as much tax-free cash flow for your, your own estate or the generational transfer outside of your estate.
1: We've been talking about advanced life insurance the topics here on Growing Your Wealth This Weekend. If you like what you heard, you want to find out more about that, and if you're a candidate for some of these products, simply give us a call here, 844-MADRONA. There's always someone to answer the phone for you, 844-MADRONA. Get your questions answered, and as always, there's a no-cost, no-obligation financial plan that you can take advantage of by calling 844-MADRONA. You can also request it online at madronafinancial.com. Out of time for this week, Brian. Thank you for your time. I want to thank our listeners for their time as well, too. Get out there, have a great weekend, enjoy this great podcast of the country that we
0: live in. We'll see you next week for another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation, or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.